Coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. People are scared by the idea of hypnosis. And if people have had any personal exposure, it's going to some dumb stage show um, where, uh, you know, the football coach dances like a ballerina and makes a fool of himself. And and, um, so they see it as either silly or dangerous. Um, and they're afraid of it. You know, I've, I've thought that maybe our tagline should be hypnosis dangerously effective, you know, because mm-hmm. it does, it, it is a rapid change in your state of consciousness. It's highly focused attention. And you can use that to, to good advantage. And, you know, you mentioned you love golf. Guess who trained with hypnosis throughout his career? Tiger Woods, you know, and his glacial calm in the face of, um, you know, highly stressful situations, I think in part is due to his training in self-hypnosis and narrowing the focus of attention. Now, it didn't help his marriage or his driving very much, I'm sorry to say, but um, it sure helped him become a superb athlete. And, And so it's a skill that when you learn to master it can really help you. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed Dr. David Spiegel. Dr. Spiegel is the Associate Chair of Psychiatry and Behavioral Services at Stanford University School of Medicine the director of the Stanford Center on Stress and Health, and has published over 480 journal articles and a whopping 13 books on the subject of hypnosis and related topics. So set aside your preconceived notions regarding what hypnosis is and is not, because Dr. Spiegel is here to help us better understand the power of scientific hypnosis, the neurobiology of hypnosis, and the clinical applications of hypnosis from pain management to sports performance. We also discussed how underutilized it is and how to do self-directed treatments with his hypnosis app, Reverie. Really enjoyed my interview with Dr. Spiegel. This was a great topic to learn about, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening, and enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin, and I have Dr. David Spiegel on. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Thanks for coming on. And I was just talking with uh, Dr. Spiegel. I haven't had anyone on actually to talk about hypnosis. Um, and I've always been interested in the mind and how we can work it towards our advantage in sports because sports is a big part of my life, especially golf. <laughs> and <laughs> so maybe we'll get into that. But before we get get into that, perhaps maybe give the audience a little bit of background of yourself. I know you've been 40 years of research with hypnosis and things like that. Maybe explain that that sort of journey um, if you can. Sure, Brian, I'd be glad to. Uh, well, I'm, uh, I've, it's been more, it's been more like almost 50 years of clinical work and research with hypnosis. Um, it's been something of a genetic disorder in my family because both of my parents were psychiatrists and psychoanalysts and my father was an expert in hypnosis. So, uh, he, he started using it when he was trained by Abinis refugees as World War II began to uh, use it on the battlefield to help with combat stress and pain. And um, he, uh, you know, so the dinner table conversations were interesting, and I got to occasionally watch him make a movie of a patient he was hypnotizing. 
And um, I, so I was intrigued by it. And my parents told me I was free to be any kind of psychiatrist I wanted to be. So here I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I took a course uh, in medical school. And my, the first time I ever used it was, um, I was walking down the hall at Children's Hospital in Boston. And the nurse said, Spiegel, your next patient is an asthmatic in room, you know, whatever number it was. And I'm following this out of the wheezing down the hall. And I walk in the room and there's this pretty 15-year-old bolt upright in bed, knuckles white, struggling for breath, her mother standing there crying. And they had twice given her subcutaneous epinephrine that didn't work. And they were thinking about inducing general anesthesia and then giving her steroids. And I didn't know what else to do. So I said, would you like to learn a breathing exercise? And she nods. And I said, I got her hypnotized. And then I realized we hadn't gotten to asthma in the course yet. So I came up with something very subtle and clever. I said, each breath you take will be a little deeper and a little easier. And within 15 minutes, she's lying back in bed. She's not wheezing. Her mother stopped crying. The nurse ran out of the room. And my intern comes looking for me. And I figure he's going to pat me on the back and say, what the hell did you do, Spiegel? And he said, the nurse filed a complaint with the nursing supervisor that you violated Massachusetts law by hypnotizing a minor without parental consent. Now, I lived in Massachusetts for seven years. It's got a lot of weird laws, but that's not on the list. And her mother was standing there anyway, right next to me. And that's been the problem with hypnosis, uh, Brian. Either people think it's useless and ridiculous and a stage show trick, or it's really dangerous. You know, be careful. So he said, you're going to have to stop doing this. And I said, well, tell you what. I said, as long as she's my patient, I'm not going to tell her something I know isn't true. Talk, my talking to her is a lot safer than what you're planning to do with her mm. and she's better and so take me off the case if you want but I, while she's my patient i'm going to keep doing this so he runs out and there's a weekend conference among the intern the, the chief resident the attending and they came back on monday with a radical idea for children's hospital they said let's ask the patient and she said, I like this. You know, now she'd been hospitalized every month for three months in status asthmatic because she had one subsequent hospitalization, but then went on to study to be a respiratory therapist. And I thought that anything can help a patient that much, that fast, that safely, and violate a non-existent law in Massachusetts had to be worth looking into. And I've been doing it ever since. You know, I just saw it. You know, it couldn't have been any plainer than that. That the mind, you know, we have this huge three pound organ on the top of our bodies that controls and connects with everything in the body it's our major evolutionary advantage but it doesn't come with a user's manual Mm -hmm. and so people don't begin to understand the extent to which they can learn to control their mind and their body better 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 with hypnosis yeah and how long ago was that what do you remember what year that That was? was in 1970 1970. So it was a long time ago. And would you say since then has it has it changed hypnosis? Has the um, the research? I'm sure, I'm sure obviously more research, but like has it become like more? It, has it become more used in practice, or what would you say? No, I, it's been terribly disappointing, uh, Brian. I, you know, I thought you know my my theory when I started my career was build it and they will come. You know provide the research base we need, and then people will see it and use it. And uh, I published an article in The Lancet in 2000 um, showing randomized clinical trial uh, 
with, uh, you know, 100 and 240 patients, three arms. They were all undergoing invasive radiological procedures, arterial cutdowns. You don't use general anesthesia for it. One arm got standard care, which was you push a button, you get opioids. We know how good the opioids are these days. The second is that plus a friendly nurse providing comfort to control for just emotional support. And the third was teaching them self-hypnosis to filter the hurt out of the pain, to learn to control the pain and their stress levels better. And by the end of an hour and a half, the ones randomized to hypnosis had um, virtually no pain at all, virtually no anxiety at all. The, the standard care group had five out of 10 pain and six out of 10 anxiety. They were using twice as much opioids. And it turned out the procedures ended 17 minutes faster in the hypnosis group because they were just so much more comfortable. And you know what? The staff were more comfortable too. They didn't feel like they were hurting anything. And there were fewer complications. Now, if I published a randomized clinical trial like that in the best medical journal in Great Britain, um, uh, every hospital in the country would be using it now, right? You know, evidence-based, right. uh, but they're not. And half a million Americans have died from opioid overdose deaths in the last 10 years. Um, and so there is something really out of whack here. And that's why I'm talking to you now that hypnosis is a powerful, effective, and safe means of helping people with stress, insomnia, pain, eating problems, stopping smoking. And we are terribly underutilizing it. And so that's why I started Reverie. I, I figured I'm, I'm going to bypass the middleman and go straight to the people who use it and get it out that way because we've done a terrible job of making it an available treatment. Yeah, I was looking at uh, your your app, uh, Reverie. And when did you, when did you start that? We started it about two years ago. Okay. And we've, we've enrolled about 240,000 people. Uh, right now I'm treating more people than I used to in a month. Uh, um, it, it, you know, it's just teaching them a skill, teaching them how to control their stress and trouble sleeping and eating problems. And um, uh, I'm, I figure I'm just going to go straight to the people who can benefit from it. That's the idea. Yeah, because the traditional route wasn't working. <laughs> wasn't working. No. It, would you say that's because you know there's just no money in it per se? Like, um, or what would you say uh, the reasonings why it probably hasn't yeah. been more well, for? Yeah, I'd say there are a couple things. People are scared by the idea of hypnosis, and if it, people have had any personal exposure, it's going to some dumb stage show. Um, where, uh, you know, the football coach dances like a ballerina and makes a fool of himself. And, and um, so they see it as either silly or dangerous. Um, and they're afraid of it. You know, I've, I've thought that maybe our tagline should be hypnosis dangerously effective, you know, because mm -hmm. it does, it, it is a rapid change in your state of consciousness. It's highly focused attention. And you can use that to, to good advantage. And, you know, you mentioned you love golf. Guess who trained with hypnosis throughout his career? Tiger Woods, you know, and his glacial calm in the face of, um, you know, highly stressful situations, I think in part is due to his training in self-hypnosis and narrowing the focus of attention. Now, it didn't help his marriage or his driving very much, I'm sorry to say, but yeah. um, it sure helped him become a superb athlete. And, and so it's a skill that when you learn to master it can really help you. Yeah. And how long does it, I mean, how long would it take for someone? Do you see like to, I talk about mastering it. 
you know, cause I think it's tough for a lot of people. If you talk about just like staying present, uh, uh, it's, it can be difficult. It's just like meditating to some degree. W- how long would you say it takes someone to actually like master hypnosis, self-hypnosis? 15 minutes. I, I just <laughs> got done talking with one of our subjects who was using reverie for the last couple of weeks for eating control lovely 59 year old woman who has meditated forever Mm. um, and loves meditation. And she does movie meditation and all this stuff, you know? Um, But she said, this is very different. And she said, I'm eating entirely differently now. And I don't, I no longer feel guilty about having intention. So meditation is a wonderful practice. Um, It's changed a lot of people's lives, but it's Eastern. You know, the idea is don't try to do any, solve anything, be open, let, let your feelings and your thoughts flow through you. Don't do it for a reason, do it because it's good to do it, to have open presence, to have compassion, um, to be aware of your body, but not try to change it. She said, now for the first time, I don't feel, I go into this state, I don't feel guilty at all. And she's not that hypnotizable, but she's got the idea of focusing on respect and protection for her body, which is one of the things that we teach people in hypnosis. Focus on what you're for, not what you're against. So she said, I can enjoy eating more while I'm eating less. I sit down. I, I don't just nibble all the time. I sit down and really enjoy a meal. I, For the first time, I don't feel I need to eat chocolate every day. I like it. But I'm thinking about what's good for my body. She said, "It's it's gotten me through life this far. Uh, I want to give it a good ride the rest of the way. And and so she's focusing on respecting and protecting her body. The hypnosis helped her shift her perspective on that. And she's already very happy about how she's changed her perspective on eating. And so it's the kind of thing that can happen, unlike mindfulness, where you, which again, I have great respect for, but it's different. You, you're supposed to do it for two or three or four weeks. Headspace um, proudly reports, understandably, that their users, and they have millions of users, are 16% happier after they use it for three weeks. And that's great, but hypnosis is different. You don't have to use it for three weeks. I hope you will. Um, But you can feel less stress in 15 minutes. You can feel less pain in 15 minutes. You can change your perspective on how you eat very rapidly. Hmm. And I'm curious, what is the brain, what what happens during this process with the brain, just not, you know, not to get too into the weeds, but I'm just curious, um, like sort of the science behind, um, what happens during hypnosis, uh, you know, on a neurological level. I'm glad you asked that question. We spent a lot of time researching that. (laughs) And so what we, what we did was we took a group of high and low hypnotizable people, people reliably differ in their hypnotizability. How can you, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, I, I know you've said that a few times, what yeah. differentiates people? I'm wondering like if I am or not, I, I would, I think I would be, but I don't, I have no idea. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you ever get so caught up in a good movie that you kind of forget you're watching a movie and enter the imagined world or a novel? I don't watch a lot of movies. Or, <laughs> um, yeah. That's a good question. I probably not actually, but. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Or reading a book. Do you ever just get totally absorbed in it or doing your work? Do you just. Yeah conversations or work yeah we we have one quick test that we can try it's not actually being hypnotized but it'll give you an idea it's called an eye roller where you look up just try this look up past your eyebrows keep your head still but look up and as you keep looking up slowly close your eyes look up and close good okay so let your eyes open now so 
that test would suggest that you're moderately hypnotizable, not extremely, but but moderately yeah. hypnotizable. And I just I give a we have a five minute test that's also available on Reverie. You can do it interactively um, to and, and it involves giving instructions to let your hand feel light like a balloon float up in the air. And if you pull it down, it'll float back up. And there are people whose hands just will sit there forever. Uh, I was remotely treating a woman the other day who's um, having having trouble with her concentration and stress. And her hand was just floating up in the air for 15 minutes while we were doing it. And she didn't even notice it. She just said it just wants to be there. you know. So you can radically change your mind-body relationship, how you control things in your body. And the test takes five minutes. So it's just, you know, if I pull the hand down, will it float back up? And people vary reliably. About two-thirds of the adult population is at least somewhat hypnotizable. About 15% are extremely hypnotizable, and the rest are not. Mm. And it's good to know that. But, um, you know, you can learn about a good strategy, even if you don't have the added boost of shifting states and going into this altered mental state. Um, So to get back to your question about what would go on in your brain if you were hypnotizable and entered a state, um, we find that three changes happen. So we took highs and lows, put them in the MRI scanner, and uh, gave them a recorded hypnosis instruction that I prepared. Um, And two of them involved hypnotic states, one going on a vacation, imagining what that was like, and another just doing things that made you feel happy, feeling good. So there were things that were meant to pleasantly engage people. And then one was just being at rest and not doing anything, and one was doing a memory task. And um, only the differences we saw were only in highly hypnotizable people and only in the two hypnotic conditions. And we saw three things. One was they turned down activity in what we call the salience network. It's a part of the brain deep in the middle of the center of the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex. And so when you hear, if you were to hear a loud noise that you thought was a gunshot, you'd stop paying attention to me and shift. That's your salience network saying, hey, Brian, look out. There's something going on you better pay attention to. It's it's what the social media people mm. do all the time to drag your attention away from what you're doing online by saying, did you hear there were break-ins in the neighborhood and you better, you know, it gets your salience network distracting you. So in hypnosis, you turn down activity in that area. You just say, I'm not going to worry about whatever else is going on. I, I'm going to focus intently on this. The second change is that there's higher connective activity. So similar activity between the executive control network, the one I'm hopefully using now talking to you in the frontal cortex, and the insula, which is a part of the salience network that controls the mind-body relationship. So it's how my asthmatic patient was able to break the circle of psychological fear and physical tension that kept her bronchioles constricted and let go. So the the executive control speaks to the mind-body salience network and says, calm things down, your body's going to be fine. And the third is uh, inverse activity between the executive control network and something we call the default mode network. That's the part of your brain that's when you're just kind of ruminating about yourself. You're not performing a task. You're not distracted by anything else. You're just thinking about yourself, what people think about you, who you are. And what's cool about that, and that's a part of the brain where activity goes down during mindfulness as well. Because, you know, part of mindfulness meditation is to kind of let go of your self-preoccupation. You know, let go of your selfhood. Just be. Don't be you. Just be. And in hypnosis, you're able to quickly and temporarily disconnect 
what you're doing from who you are. So that's why the football coach can dance like a ballerina and not think about it. It's why you can give up old kind of um, false ideas or preoccupations. And uh, like this nice woman I talked to just before talking to you, she said, I used to think that my chocolate was my treat. I had to have this treat. And now I'm thinking, I don't have to have it every day. I like chocolate. I'll have it sometimes. But my first priority now is giving my body a good ride as long as I've got it, taking care of my body. Um, and it doesn't feel like I'm giving up so much. It feels like I'm being consistent with a commitment to take care of my body. So it's a way of cutting loose from old preoccupations and approaching an old problem from a new point of view. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, because we all have sort of these self-labels that we put on ourselves. I mean, I work with a lot, a lot of men who probably for the last 30, 40 years, you know, have been slowly, let's just say, like uh have this label of themselves as oh well i'm i'm the i was always the fat kid or you know like these labels that they put on themselves throughout many years and and it's some of it subconsciously um and so what you're sort of saying is hypnosis can sort of separate you from that would that does that you know it's well put uh we say in hypnosis that you always want to focus on what you're for not what you're against you know, if I tell you, don't think about purple elephants, <laughs> guess what you're thinking about, you know? So instead, it's a way of changing your perspective, not by fighting it and saying, I don't want to think of myself as a fat kid. But rather, the, the thing I tell people in hypnosis is, for my body, too much food is a poison. I need my body to live. I owe my body respect and protection. I get them to think of their body as if it were their child, their baby, or their pet. We would never do to a pet what we do with our right. own body. Would you force right. your dog to eat more food than he wanted to? Hell no. But your body is as dependent on you as your pet or your baby is. So we all have this natural protective urge. Use it. Feel good about yourself. Don't feel you're depriving yourself. Feel like you're being a more responsible steward of your own body. And sessions of hypnosis last how long, typically? Would you um, say? Well, in my office, the, the actual hypnosis session is like 15 minutes. And on Reverie, uh, the sessions are like 9 to 11 minutes. They're interactive. I ask a question. Depending on what you say, you'll get a different response. And we also have some one-minute reminders, hypnotic moments, that will help you kind of tune back into the last time you used it. But it can literally take, you know, in just using it yourself, um, you know, three to five minutes to just kind of renew your commitment to respect your body and feel good about what you plan to do, review what you have done. And um, so it can be very rapid, but it's a, it's a sudden shift in your focus of attention. And each time you're using the app Reverie, are you getting into this hyp hypno hypnosis state or, um, or is it just sort of reminders or things like that? Like, no, you're getting into the state. I mean, okay. we do have some explanation, but unlike a lot of other apps where you spend a lot of time learning what it is and what to do, um, our, our goal is to get you into it and doing it as quickly as possible and see what it's like. And then you can learn more about it if you want to. But much of the time on the app is actually experiencing self-hypnosis. Now I'm really intrigued. You know, I, I see you, you focus one of, well, one of them is focus and performance and you talk mm -hmm. about sort of shifting states and like in golf, you know, you, you sometimes call this like a flow state where, you know, you're playing and you're not even like, 
no, nothing around you is matters. You know, you're in this sort of like, right. just like one state of mind. And, uh, and this is when, this is where you see, like you talk about Tiger Woods and the best athletes in the world seem to get to this state more often. Right. Uh, and, I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just curious, like yeah. maybe talk about the application it could use for, for performance. Well, there's a famous book uh, called Zen and the Art of Archery. And uh, this Zen master who also was a superb archer used to say, you know, most people focus on the wrong thing when they're performing. They focus on um, the, uh, you know, the arrow hitting the target, and aiming at the target. And he said, that's a mistake. What you want to focus on is your relationship with the bow and arrow. And if your relationship is correct, the arrow will go where it needs to go. And so he's saying you're focusing more on outcome than you are on process. And in flow, you, you know, you're not thinking, uh, oh, what happens if I don't make it? Or, you know, if I don't score a basket or, or if I, you know, you can be sure Steph Curry, I'm sorry, he got injured last night, but he's fabulous. He's not worried about the consequences. He's having a physical experience of how he relates to the basketball and where it goes. And Tiger Woods did that too. He was amazing at just concentrating on what his body needed to do um, and let the rest take care of itself. And so it's this idea of being in and enjoying the physical experience you're having rather than worrying about what the consequences and outcome will be. You're just distracting yourself if you do that. So that's the idea to, to narrow your in hypnosis, you narrow the focus of attention so that you can just be in the moment and the experience that you have dissociate everything else, put outside of conscious awareness, things that could be in consciousness, but wind up just being distractions and being cognitively flexible, seeing things from a different point of view than the one you usually have. And those three things are the essence of hypnosis. And you can, when you combine that, in performance or in taking care of your body as you eat, um, you'll find you can be more effective and you can really change in a hurry. What what other applications can you use it for? Uh, I'm just curious. What else? Um, we we use it for helping people stop smoking. Uh, same kind of concept as with eating, only it's not, we're not telling you to smoke better. We're telling you mm -hmm. that for my body, smoking is a poison. I need my body to live. I owe my body respect and protection. Would you put tar and nicotine into the lungs of your baby or your your pet cat or dog? Hell no. So focus on respecting and protecting your body. After using the app, 19% of people stop smoking. Now, I wish it were everyone, but that's as good as you get with most of the medication for Enoclean and others that people use. So it's not bad. People, Some people can do it in a hurry and feel good about it. The nice thing is for them, it isn't a struggle. And I say, oh, God, you know, I'm so anxious now and this and that. They feel good about themselves because they're taking a whole new point of view. It's shifting your focus about shifting to respecting and, and protecting your body. We use it for insomnia. That's one of our most pop popular apps. And we try to get pre and post information from people on the app, you know, with how stressed you're feeling before and how stressed after. We get about a 35% reduction. Same with pain. We get about the same level of reduction in 15 minutes. We were getting very poor responses on sleep until people started texting us um, that they didn't want to provide an answer because they were falling asleep and they didn't wake themselves <laughs> up to tell us how sleepy they felt. So um, it can it can happen very quickly and and many people can get good results in a hurry. Would you recommend someone working with someone like that's a professional hypnosis? Um, well, for, for 
For I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, first, and it, you know, I guess it probably depends on the individual and the situation, maybe, but I'm I'm just curious. Well, you know, one of the I was teaching a workshop for the Society for Clinical Experimental Hypnosis, and one of my esteemed senior colleagues said, you know, I realize we've been making a mistake and we've been treating it like gold in Fort Knox, you know, that, you know, you have to go to the right person all the time. I do think if you seek a professional, go to someone who's licensed and trained in a professional specialty like psychology, medicine, dentistry, or whatever. Um, you know, uh, it's important to have someone who knows how to help you assess the problem and figure out the best way to treat it. But I think it's not necessary. A lot of people can benefit by trying to just learn it for themselves. And that's why we built Reverie. And there was a time when I wouldn't have dared to do it. I would have thought, oh my God, what's going to happen? These people will be out there in trances and all this stuff. And it hasn't happened. You know, it's because people who are hypnotizable are in trance-like states a lot of times anyway, like getting lost in movies. And uh, my favorite example of why I'm not so worried about it anymore is that when, when windshield wipers were invented for cars a century or so ago, there was a movement not to allow them because you know, remember the oldest idea of how to hypnotize someone was to dangle a watch, you know, mm -hmm. well, what do your eyes do when you're looking at a dangling watch, they move back and forth. And people were afraid that people would watch the windshield wipers while they were driving and go into trance states. Well, we're okay with windshield wipers. Uh, it, it has not caused that problem. <laughs> and um, right. uh, same, same with this, that people can learn to master an ability they have, and they probably use sometimes in the wrong ways anyway. So find a, find it, it's a good way to approach it and see if it will help you. Now, there are some kinds of problems that are more serious. I use hypnosis to help people deal with post-traumatic stress disorder, and uh, people can have serious symptoms, serious problems of flashbacks and and hyperarousal and irritability that need attention. And, and sometimes for that, um, you need uh, a licensed and trained professional to help you with it. So I would say it's a good reverie. Things like reverie are a good place to start. And if you need more help or you're having symptoms that are really serious, by all means, uh, get to a licensed and trained professional who also knows about hypnosis and, and let them help you with it. Okay. And uh, how is this something you have to perform every day? I'm just thinking... Um, like if, if I'm going to play golf, would I do it like the morning of, or is that unnecessary? Uh, well, it depends. It's, okay. it's not a bad idea. I think it does set you in the right frame of mind okay. and it gets your mind associating that when you actually pick up the club and take the shot, you're going to try and be in this frame of mind. So mm -hmm. I would say it's easy. It's fast. It's a good idea to do it, um, to set yourself up for, for what you're going to do. And I find that very helpful when I eat sometimes was anxious about giving a talk. Mm. I would just go into a little state of self-hypnosis before and just in my own mind, check off where the talk was going, my main points. Because sometimes as a speaker, we get lost in the weeds and it was helpful for me to just say, what's the big picture I want my audience to come away with? And I found that was helpful to me, and I think in helping them and in certainly making me less anxious about giving the talk. How have you been implementing it which you sort of answered my question, but in your life, yeah. I mean, you've learned about it. You like what you say in the, since the seventies. Yeah. Um, has this been something you've been utilizing in your life uh, since then? Sure. Uh, <laughs> one athletic performance thing. I was trying to learn to water ski, and I I was on my face all the time. And I realized that what I was doing was the typical mistake that newbies make with water skiing. 
which is they're they're really tense um, and they're pulling in like this and they're making more of a control differential than they need mm -hmm. to just hang on to the to the rope. Uh, and um, their leg, my legs were stiff, and so I couldn't absorb the bounces on the water. So I hypnotized myself, and I said something very clever and and complicated: arms straight, knees bent, arms straight, knees bent. Mm -hmm. And I got it. I was up. You know, it just was sort of programming my mind to program my body to do what it needed to do to do it. Um, and so I've used it uh, for things like that. I've used it for pain. I had a recurrent dislocating shoulder that I finally decided to have operated on. And um, I, it was a three hour procedure. I had general anesthesia for that, but afterwards I was just imagining cool tingling numbness in my shoulder, filtered hurt out of the pain. And I went, I it was at a hospital I worked at mass general and I went over and read my chart, which I wasn't supposed to do. And uh, the, the surgical intern had written, patient using very little pain medication, we mustn't have cut many nerves. <laughs> now, you know, I got a scar from here to here. I can tell you that, you know, right. they cut nerves, but people just couldn't understand. I used it that way. My, my lovely wife, um, who's a stem cell biologist, uh, was, um, uh, when she gave birth to our first child, Dan, who is now a very large, uh, important architect in San Francisco, um, he was 10 pounds when he was born for a first child. That's a lot. She was floating in Lake Tahoe, filtering the hurt out of the pain, didn't have the usual physical anesthesia. And I had no pain at all. You know, she was, she was fine. And she had her second child in a couple hours, again, using self-hypnosis. So yeah, it can be very helpful. Um, oh, there's your wife making a cameo yeah, there in the she background. Is. Right, right. <laughs> I want to say hi, wave. <laughs> there she is. Okay. Yeah. It's all true. <laughs> all true, she said. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the brain is so underutilized. What like percentage would you say that we use our brain? I've, I know I've heard these stats before, but like the percentage that we're actually using our brain and how much we actually, how much more we could actually obtain from just, you know, using it or learning to use <sighs> it. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, I, my, in my publications, I live and die by numbers. So I'm, I'm, you know, That's... hesitant to make them up, yeah. but I would say that at the least we can double what we can do by, by making better use of our brain. I mean, hypnosis, we've, we've done studies where people can um, look at a color grid and drain the color from it hypnotically it looks black and white and reduce activity in the color processing regions of the brain significantly. And if they look at a um, black and white grid and add the color, they double, you know, they increase the activity in those regions. So I call that believing is seeing, you know, we, our brains have an incredible ability to help us picture and, and then plan and experience things that we didn't think we could. And um, so it's something we don't nearly take full enough advantage of, you know, there's, you know, it's it's related to, but more powerful than the placebo effect. You know, expect something that will happen, you know, you'll feel better. And uh, there's right. evidence that a lot of our responses to many medications have a placebo component. So, let's it's not it's not a problem. Let's take advantage of it. You know, let's. But it, it's a combination of doing that, but but choosing the right strategy that will genuinely help you, whether or not you're hypnotized. But if you are hypnotizable and you use the right strategy you're going to get a lot farther along. And I noticed on Reverie, there's a, then you did it to me, the eye roll test. And yes. I was just looking that, so was that developed by your dad? 
<laughs> yes, it okay. was. He uh, he used to his hypnotic induction used to be looking at a, a light fixture on the ceiling of his office, and one one morning I, I had been with him on a Saturday while he was hypnotizing this very large woman who had what we call non-epileptic seizures. So suddenly she'd fall down and start, uh, her arms and legs would be moving. And her husband actually had to have his desk at the factory near the door. So if she started to have one of these seizures, he could run home and help her. And this neurologist at Columbia called my father and said, Herb, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you, you're going to see this woman. So he did. And he did a, a really kind of funny thing. He said, good, I'm going to help you have a seizure. And she said, are you kidding? I came here to get rid of them. I said, well, a lot of people have tried that hasn't worked, right? So, you know, give me, give me a chance here. So he has her go back to remember the last time she had a seizure. And sure enough, she has one. And he said, good. You know, and a lot of these people, they can't stop it, but they can start it. That's a way of teaching them they can control it. So he taught her to have milder and milder seizures. So instead of falling down and, and thrashing her arms and legs, she just had a little tremor in her hand and she felt great. She was doing a whole lot better. And it happened that I noticed, and he noticed that when she would go into hypnosis, her eye, he couldn't see her, her uh, pupils uh, uh, at, at all. He just saw sclera. It was all white as she looked up and closed her eyes. And on the next Monday, he had a very obsessional rigid guy who wouldn't take suggestions from anyone. And, had him look up and he noticed that he had to bring his eyes down as he closed them. And this guy was not at all hypnotizable. And that's what got him thinking. So he started measuring. And yours is, as I say, in the mid range, but it mid does seem okay. to be, it's not a test of hypnotizability per se, but it's an indicator that you've got the biology that should allow you to experience hypnosis. And our eyes are right in the middle of controlling consciousness. We close them when we go to sleep. Um, we have rapid eye movements when we're dreaming during sleep. So the parts of the brain that control eye movements are also related to what's called the reticular activating system, a part that gets very active when you're alert and aroused and very quiet when you're going to sleep. So it's not a surprise that the way your eyes move might be some indication of how hypnotizable you are. Yeah, that's really So the more your eyes will roll up when you do the test, tech, typically you're more hypnotizable. But the crucial that, thing is not just rolling up, but keeping them up while you close your eyelids. That's hard uh, to do. Yeah, right. right. I know because you're asking when... those nerves to do contradictory things, and it's the ability to keep your eyes up while you're closing them that's the real test. I know you did. Uh, you did it to Doctor Huberman. Was he pretty yes. hypnotizable? <laughs> he is, and nobody was more surprised than him. Yeah, I love that. There's a there's a YouTube video of my doing it with him. Right. And you, you may have seen it. And I just, I mean, he's this brilliant neuroscientist, you know, smart as could be. And he's looking at his left hand and saying, what the hell's going on here? You know, so he had that profound sense of dissociation. So he is pretty hypnotizable. Yeah. So you're, so he was, you're, when you get hypnotized, you're in sort of the subconscious state, but do you realize what, what you're doing or do you not? Yes, you realize what you're doing, but it's more circumscribed. You're really realizing what you're doing, but you're not thinking about a lot of other things you might also be thinking about. Like, what are people going to think when this is posted on YouTube and, you know, people see me like this? He's not thinking about that. He's just thinking about his relationship to his body and how different his left hand feels from his right hand. And and so it it's not that you're not conscious. You are, but you're conscious of a more circumscribed domain. Mm. 
And I, I mean, obviously sleep's a big one. And this is a topic that comes up a lot on my podcast is getting optimal sleep. And what I even notice with myself, sometimes I'm a pretty good sleeper, but there are some times in the middle of the night you get up and you get to the bathroom. And then right. if your mind starts to work, then it's like, okay, it takes a while to fall back asleep. So I could totally see how this is very, you know, you know, applicable for something like that. Absolutely. And it, it can be very helpful. And the, the issue is this, that, um, our autonomic nervous system that controls our level of arousal has two major components. One is the sympathetic system, nor, norepinephrine, epinephrine are secreted. Your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, your muscles tense, you start to sweat. And the worst thing is that the more you notice that and the more irritated you are, it's three in the morning, I want to get back to sleep, the more aroused you get. The parasympathetic, the self-soothing part of your nervous system slows heart rate, lowers blood pressure. And they compete with one another. When you go to sleep, you basically shut down your sympathetic nervous system and let the parasympathetic take over. Um, and and that's why, you know, your alarm clock or a loud noise will wake you up and, you know, you wake up and your heart, heart rate is going and you're sweating and you wonder what happened. Um, that will keep you from sleeping. So what you want to be able to do is shut down that sympathetic response don't focus on how irritated you are that you're awake. Picture yourself. And what I do in hypnosis on reverie is teach people to imagine they're floating in a bath, a lake, a hot tub, or floating in space. So get your body comfortable before you deal with what you're worried about. And you can do that very easily and quickly. Most people can. And I say, if you're still having these thoughts, don't fight them, but just project them onto an imaginary movie screen and watch them as if you were watching a movie. So you can have the thoughts, but detach the physiological arousal from it. And that's how we help people handle stress as well. Mm -hmm. And that allows you to just turn down the arousal cues and allow your body to be comfortable and drift back to sleep. Yeah. I'm sure that's a big one that comes up for you guys. <laughs> yeah. You probably, yeah, you probably get that quite a bit. Um, we do. Wow. The, this was great. Um, well, yeah. Is there anything else that, you know, maybe we missed? Are there any, you know, studies coming out that maybe we should look out for um, regarding hypnosis? Um, we we just have a paper uh, that came out on breathwork, actually, on helping oh. people uh, use the way they breathe. And we're using that to kind of augment uh, hypnosis. Um, and uh, it's uh, um, the idea was here that just five minutes a day of learning to inhale fairly quickly and slowly exhale what we call cyclic sighing is another way of helping people um to uh to breathe uh in a way that helps add to that parasympathetic response help people calm down so you can supplement the hypnosis uh with this uh this breath work and that's a study that i did in collaboration with with dr huberman mm. um and and so Cyclic sighing is a kind of interesting thing, too. Um, I would say that um, there is more and more research coming out that, you know, if you compare what you can learn on Reverie in a few minutes uh, with the risks and benefits of a lot of the drugs we use, we found in another study that um, there is more people who are highly hypnotizable have more inhibitory neurotransmitter activity in this salience network. Uh, it's called GABA, gamma aminobutyric acid. And it's the same substance that is stimulated by most anti-anxiety drugs. Mm -hmm. So you've got your own little anti-anxiety uh, pharmacy in your brain 
that you can learn to use better. Um, and uh, just the way we know we have endogenous opioid receptors too in the brain. And we can learn to stimulate those receptors in non-pharmacological ways as well. And that's a, that's a great benefit. Yeah. Love these, these free tools that we can utilize, right? Absolutely. So we, we welcome people to uh, try Reverie. It's R-E-V-E-R-I. The, the first seven days are free for anybody to give it a try, see what it feels like. Um, and we have, we, we have an iOS version you can download from the app store and uh, we've just uh, recently introduced an Android version of Well You Can Get from Google Play and give it a try. There's no harm in trying it and see what you feel like. The nice thing is you should know within the first 15 minutes whether it's likely to help you or not. Really? And if wow. it is, you'll feel a difference. And if you don't, okay, no harm, no foul. But I think uh, many people are finding uh, that it helps them live better and helps their bodies live longer. Yeah, I love that. Reverie, I will definitely put a... A link in the show notes. Is there is there anywhere else people can find you to see where you're doing your research? Uh, well, I I'm uh, on the faculty at Stanford. I'm a professor and associate chair of psychiatry, and uh, I have a, a CAPS profile that people can get to to um, keep track of what's new, and they they update all the publications and things like that. So you can go to uh, Stanford Who and get to the CAPS profile and and see what's up. Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to at least give the trial a go, right? I, I, I've I, always been interested in this, so um, I'll report back. Terrific. I'd be glad to hear. That's great. <laughs> well, uh, Dr. Spiegel, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, Brian. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there, and you've chosen to listen to mine, and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.